And there's a lot to unpack on what you were saying about empathetic leadership and about customer service and zigging when others are zagging. Because you mentioned Vesteri, mentioned the real realizations that have taken hundreds of millions of dollars, and correct me if I'm wrong, of outside capital. Mm -hmm. And you're, as a business owner, you're reinvesting what you're making. Again, I'm assuming you're reinvesting what you're making. And what and if you go into onto Design Revival's Google reviews, you'll see people, again, the consigners, the customers, calling out the personalized customer service, the I know Tiffany by first name type customer service. And this is the owner of the business who's making an effort to really know me as a person. And that's a huge differentiator when it comes to the business that you're in. Because, and also correct me if I'm wrong, aren't there some misconceptions about the fashion industry, about fashion and retail? It could be off-putting or a little standoffish or, or perhaps looking down, why are you in here type of Yes, and that's vibe. What's that famous scene in Pretty Woman when she has money and she's going to shop to buy her new outfits and nobody will give her the time of day because she looks like a prostitute. <laughs> so, I, which I love, love, love that scene. But it's just so funny because we can have people in here in their pajamas and in their yoga clothes and they want to buy a $5,000 Chanel bag and that's totally fine. And it's nobody is going to judge them. They can come in here. They can sit. We always do cocktails on Fridays. We'll have a glass of wine. They can be in their pajamas and they can shop if they choose. But if you're going to some of our competitors and some of those luxury stores like a Chanel, it is very, it's very intimidating for a lot of people. Welcome to Worthy for 30, a podcast hosted by Eric Tash. Eric is a brand marketer who spent time in both the startup and corporate worlds. Throughout his career, He's come across remarkable leaders who've set clear examples for how to do good and give back. Eric sits down with some of the most sought-after entrepreneurs and C-suite executives to discuss how they're able to unlock deeper meaning in their work by infusing their core fundamental values. Worthy for 30, where doing good and doing well meet. Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Worthy for 30. Uh, with me today is a friend, colleague, former boss, Tiffany Kariakos, who's the CEO and owner of Designer Revival. Welcome to the show, Tiffany. Thank you so much for having uh, me. With me today is a friend, colleague, former boss, Tiffany Kariakos, who's the CEO and owner of Designer Revival. Welcome to the show, Tiffany. Thank you so much for having me. Excellent. So Tiffany, before we get started, for the listeners, can you help us understand what consignment is? Sure. Consignment is when you own a particular item and you would like to sell it and the proceeds are split with the party that sells the item. So for example, we might have a consigner that brings in a handbag that she'd like to sell. So mm-hmm. once we sell the item, the consigner then gets paid and we split the proceeds 50 Okay, so you're splitting the- well, I don't truly own my inventory. The inventory is supplied to us from consigners. So they can choose to take it back or we obviously split the proceeds if the item has been sold. Gotcha. Okay, excellent. And with Designer Revival, can you tell us, give us a history of Designer Revival from my understanding, working with you and understanding the business has been a cornerstone of the Upper East Side for decades and- you most recently purchased Designer Revival. So we'd just love to, to understand your history with Designer Revival. Yes, this is a store. This was actually one of the first consignment stores here in New York. So when I purchased it, it's almost eight years ago now, the landscape for resale was very different. There were a few that were still here in the city and really online, it was just starting to take off. But now the landscape is completely different with 
most online, uh, most resale stores being online. So like the likes of The Real, Vestair, Tracy, Poshmark, those types of, of sites. So the competition is fierce. And it's really a true testament that we are still here because we've been here for over 35 years. And we really are a neighborhood mainstay here on the Upper East Side. So our customers and consigners have really been shopping and consigning here for years. And I actually mm -hmm. used to consign here and shop here in college quite a while ago. And the fact that I own the store now is, is really fabulous. And when we did purchase the store, there was no online presence whatsoever. So we were able to bring Designer Revival online, and that's where we've seen most of our success. And that's back in 2017 is when you purchased Designer yes. Revival? Designer no, 2015. Revival? 2015. Okay, so 2015, you purchased Designer Revival. You were a customer mm -hmm. back when you were in college. Isn't it amazing how life comes full circle? Exactly. Right? Did you ever think in your wildest dreams that one day I'd own this store? No, I never, ever. And I think most of my career was I started in finance, and then I moved into marketing via the beauty industry. And that's where I spent most of my career. Fashion was always a passion of mine, but I never really thought that I would have a career in fashion. So it just so happened that I was looking to make a career change and was wanting to start my own online business with friends and families, merchandise. Mm -hmm. And it just so happened that this store was for sale at that same time. So it was just perfect timing. Because it's obviously easier it's, to start a business when there's an existing footprint. Of course, but you had the foresight to, to say, hey, Consumer eyeballs and wallets are going online. We don't have an online presence. We're just resting for now, resting on our laurels that we've been on the Upper East Side for 30 plus years. We need to do something. So again, you had that, that strategic vision that we need to have an, an e-commerce business as robust or more robust for that consumer who's more of an omni-channel consumer who likes to go into store, but also likes to browse online, which, it, which is tremendous. When it comes to entrepreneurial pursuits, you don't have to go that far in your household to find someone who's also an entrepreneur. Can you tell us about Mike, your husband, and how he's, did he provide any sort of guidance as you were thinking about buying Designer Revival and building it to what it is? Today? My husband, as you know him very well, he's a, he's a born entrepreneur, and that's what he's always done with his career and always will be an entrepreneur. I think for me, I needed definitely more of a pep talk into really taking that role because I was used to working in corporate America where we'd come up with everything all together, sit around in a boardroom and have meeting after meeting and there was such a hierarchy. So being able to have something that was my own and make it what I envisioned without having to go through a hierarchy of people to approve things was quite daunting, but also so exciting at the same time. Yes, he definitely has been my biggest cheerleader and has been a great sounding board. And really, especially with the online presence, he was so helpful in giving me advice on how to really get that going, especially mm -hmm. with his success with everyday health. I think online, now we're about, our 60% of our business is online versus brick and mortar. And especially during COVID, it was even more than that. So I think that's really allowed us to survive. But it's interesting mm -hmm. to see the way things are changing right now because people are going back to brick and mortar because they want to continue to shop in store mm -hmm. because they want that tactile experience. So it's great to see that we also have an online presence, but also brick and mortar is still important because we are in the fashion mecca of the world, which is New York City. So having a consignment mm -hmm. store here in New York City, we have access to such amazing things. And we do have a lot of tourists that now are back shopping, which is what we used to have prior to COVID. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that's also tremendous. Having that following, but also finding a new following to come into store, to, to browse, to really understand the allure of designer revival and what it, and it, all its- And the glamorous you know, treasure um, hunt, yes. All the glamorous tre- treasure hunt, exactly. So in, in terms of being a solo entrepreneur, and you mentioned that you don't have to go through, or now you don't, coming from corporate America, you don't have to go through this hierarchy of making decisions. What do you think was the one of the most difficult decisions as a business owner you've had to make since buying Designer Revival? I think it's probably... It's so important to, I think what I assumed when I first took over the business is I will keep my staff exactly the same and I won't rock the boat and I won't change anything. But mm-hmm. I think my biggest lesson was that having a good team was the most important thing. And I think relying on people that were actually unhappy maybe with the prior owner or the way things were happening or unhappy with me taking over because I was change and represented newness, which a lot of people don't look forward to dealing with. It definitely was a challenge. So I think replacing most of my staff, actually all of my staff as of now, really did help me and allowed us to really create a cohesive team that allowed us to forge forward. And we all share the same goals and values and everybody is excited to be here. And that's what's so important. It's like, if you don't have a good team, then forget it. Because when you're a customer, you're in the store and you want to consign and you want to purchase, you're also dealing with that that personal interface. And I like to call mm-hmm. us a hair salon because we know so much about our customers and our consigners because they come in on a regular basis because our merchandise is always changing and because we are such a neighborhood local destination. So they'll come on their way home from work or on the weekends after brunch, or it's just, it's great to know that we know our customers and consigners and they look forward to talking to us. And I think that's really important. So getting that, that vibe across and giving us a point of difference where we're personal and everything about us is authentic. You have to do that from the ground up. And I think the team has really helped us get to a place where People love coming in here to talk to us and to shop. And there's a lot to unpack on what you were saying about empathetic leadership and about customer service and zigging when others are zagging. Because you mentioned Vestari, you mentioned Real. These are organizations that have taken hundreds of millions of dollars, and correct me if I'm wrong, of outside capital. Mm-hmm. And you're, as a business owner, you're reinvesting what you're making. Again, I'm assuming you're reinvesting what you're of making. Course. And what and if you go into onto Design Revival's Google reviews, you'll see people, again, the consigners, the customers, calling out the personalized customer service, the I know Tiffany by first name type customer service. And this is the owner of the business who's making an effort to really know me as a person. And that's a huge differentiator when it comes to the business that you're in. Because, and also correct me if I'm wrong, aren't there some misconceptions about the fashion industry, about fashion and retail? It could be off-putting or a little standoffish or perhaps looking down, why are you in here type of Yes, and that's it's that famous scene in Pretty Woman when she has money and she's going to shop to buy her new outfits and nobody will give her the time of day because she looks like a prostitute. <laughs> so I, which I love, love, love that scene. But it's just so funny because we can have people in here in their pajamas and in their, you yoga clothes and they want to buy a $5,000 Chanel bag. And that's totally fine. And it's nobody is going to judge them. They can come in here. They can sit. We always do cocktails on Fridays. They'll have a glass of wine. They can be in their pajamas and they can shop if they choose. But if you're going to some of our competitors and some of those luxury stores like a Chanel, 
it is very, it's very intimidating for a lot of people. They're like, I'm not dressed well enough. They're asking me what I'm doing here. You get eyeballs staring at you, or at least that's how you feel. Here, it's just, you're here to be relaxed, comfortable. It's, it feels like you're in somebody's house when you come to our store. But again, you can buy the Hermes, the Chanel, where most of those stores are very intimidating to go into. So there's, of course, there's no prejudging. Again, this person's in their pajamas, but they're here to shop. They're here to make a buying decision. And that could be, yeah, a $5,000 Hermes or Chanel bag. But going back to my question about some hard decisions, you touched upon in one of your responses about empathetic leadership of being part of a team. What do you think it what do you think it is? Can you put a finger on like that X factor of your leadership style that has caused that level of cohesion amongst your staff? I think it's really conveying that everyone has everyone's opinion matters. With a small team, we have about 10 employees here now that are without consulting or kind of here every day, 10 people. And I think it's everybody's opinion is I want to hear everybody's point of view on everything. So they feel like they matter. And I think that's truly important. So we always will do check-ins where if we're making a decision and making a change, is everybody on board? It's a very democratic situation because I'm not going to just say, this is the way we're going to do it and now proceed. I'm not going to bark orders. It's really, we come up with our decisions together. We make Mm -hmm. decisions together. We come up with ideas together. And I think that's just great because that allows people to have a voice and it's, it makes such a difference. And I think, especially now with so many, a job market is so hot and you can get a job anywhere. It's what's our point of difference and what's going to make you stay here. Yeah, we're not going to pay you the most out of anybody here in, in New York City because we are a small business. But what are the other perks that will allow you to be happy to, to stay here. And I think it is your opinion matters and what you want to do here. If you have great ideas, all ears. And I think we also do a lot with our intern programs here. We constantly have new interns every semester. So I love working with them, that type of employee because they're just so eager to learn and have such great ideas. And they usually don't think people want to listen because they're still in school, but it's such a fabulous learning environment. That's tremendous. And when it comes to that intern program, are there any, can you point to any ideas that came out of that intern program that you, that you quickly implemented? That's a great idea. I think most of them have pertained to social media because we've always had our interns working on social media. And that is where we need the advice from, we call them quote unquote, the kids. So having their feedback on what we're doing with social media, like we just implemented auction Thursday. So we do auctions every Thursday with particular items and people are allowed to bid on an item and that it has really drawn up a larger audience and a larger following for us. And I think TikTok, we're actually on TikTok and really our interns have helped us to really get those videos going and get the following that we need. So I think they definitely have contributed with many great ideas for social media. That's excellent. Any, just out of curiosity, any plans for live shopping on social media? Yeah. So we've done live shopping. We've actually, were really one of the first resale stores to do live shopping here in the city. I'm working with a company called Shop Shops and that Mm -hmm. was doing live stream shopping for China. So the China consumer, but now we're actually working with them and they're focusing more on the U.S. But we've also done our own live stream shopping via Instagram as well. And that's a monthly thing for us. And we actually did have an in from FIT who was fabulous, who's just left us because she's graduating. But she was pivotal in helping us with our live stream shopping via Instagram. So yes, live shopping is definitely a focus for us. And it's definitely a revenue stream that 
um, has huge potential for us, especially with resale because you have one of everything. So we're constantly getting in new merchandise and it's not like we're talking about the same thing for six months and then we're waiting and waiting for the new season to come. We have new mm -hmm. things every day. So we have so much content. Oh, I, I can imagine. And these items are coming from individuals as well as estates. Like where's a lot of this inventory coming? Yeah, mostly it's individuals, but we do get a lot of, we, we have relationships with organizers in the tri-state area who, you know, are professional organizers. So they're revamping someone's house and we'll have connections with them. And then also estates, if someone passes away, we'll come and we'll look at their closet. People will be there called in for their art, for their, for their furniture, clothing. So we would be responsible for their clothing and accessories. So we do get items that way as well. Mm -hmm. oh, that's that's incredible. So just switching gears a little bit, going back to the Desire Revival has been on the Upper East Side for 35 years. It's a cornerstone of the neighborhood. You bought the business in 2015. You built an e-commerce business as robust as that in-store business. One of the things as I'm as I was preparing for our conversation, Tiffany, is that New York Post article that you wrote about being a real retail business owner in New York City and having having some of that having that that intact constitution personal constitution despite the fact that there could be some unsavory things that could happen to your business from vandalism from break-ins can you give us and the listeners some context of what happened or what has happened in the past sure i mean obviously any type of break-in is devastating and it just so happens that you really are during BLM, we did have two break-ins, one right after the other. So those were really devastating for the business. And then more recently, we had a, in the spring. So that, that means that people came, did something with our gates and we have tight security here. So it's really quite mm -hmm. amazing what they're capable of doing. But breaking into the store in the evening and then stealing thousands and thousands of dollars of handbags. So pretty much all of the break-ins have added up to almost $200,000 worth of goods. And we're not Gucci or Chanel where it's like you have a break-in and then you call corporate and they can send you a whole new truckload of merchandise to, to get going. We have to really pick up the pieces and go to our consigners, collect more items. It's just such a timely process and it's scary because it happens during the day here too. We've had people come in and steal during the day. We had an episode where one of my sales associates was pepper sprayed and they took eight, eight Chanel bags after pepper spraying her and that happened in broad daylight. So it's just that you never know what's going to happen. But when it happens to a small business, I still haven't been paid from my insurance company for the last break-in. It's just, it's, it's devastating, but we've been able to make connections with the 19th precinct, which is the police precinct responsible for our neighborhood. So mm -hmm. they've been in touch with us or going to their community meetings that are monthly. My store manager is very involved with that. We've had sales associates run after people when they've stolen. So it's like I have a tough group of women here that <laughs> want to see us succeed. And it's quite amazing. And obviously I would never condone that, but it's just, it's unbelievable what they've gone through to really stop these people. And we've had repeat offenders as well. People that have come in a numerous amount of times and have stolen and they, there's nothing that, there's no recourse. There's no recourse. So we've worked with our council, our city council member, Julie Menon. She came in and met with us and she's aware of everything that's going on here. And I'm also now a member of the New York Retail Council. So they keep us abreast of any new laws that are being passed and they're working on new laws to really help with these repeat offenders that are coming in and 
committing grand larceny and not going to jail for definitely getting involved more with our community and trying to stop rather than just sitting here saying, woe is me, please don't let this happen again. It's like, what can we do to really help? What can we do to really help to protect us as well as protect our neighbors? Because you're on a block with other retail businesses by, again, being more vocal on what we can do and how we can be more proactive. It's not only benefiting Designer Revival, it's also benefiting the other businesses that surround Designer Revival, right? Exactly. Because we we have a strong relationship with a lot of the vendors that are here, even just on our block. We have our Mm -hmm. tailor, dry cleaner, shoe repair, a florist, a manicurist, a hairstylist. So yeah, we try to work together and whenever I want it, I whenever I can, I try to give them business and reciprocate by referring people here as well. But yes, we want to make it a safe environment. And it's just crazy to think that these things are happening on their upper east side. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. It's you think, you know, everything everywhere is safe and unfortunately these incidents that happen change your perception, but what's also tremendous coming out of this, if there's any silver lining is how not just how resolute you are, but how yes, I'm thinking about protecting my business, but also benefit how can we protect our neighbors and how can we work together? And also some of the causes. You mentioned BLM, for instance. I remember mm-hmm. Designer Revival put out a post on Yes, there was a break in this cause of BLM is so important for the country and for the discourse. So I, I think it's again, again, as, as horrible as these break ins are, there is there's a, still this level of altruism, if you want to call it that. Yeah. And it's um, looking at the big picture. It's like, why is this happening? What what is going on a macro level? Yeah, no, it's it's yes. What is happening on a macro level and how can I f- better understand? How can I be again, going back to empathetic leadership? How can I take that 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 additional step of being of putting myself in other people's shoes to really understand their perspective. So coming out of that, if there's a listener who's listening to our conversation and they're thinking about starting a retail business or any business for for all intents and purposes, what advice would you give them? I think you have to be, especially with a small business, you have to be ready to pivot at the drop of a hat. So if something's not working, you need to think fast, have a, a handle on your cost with going out the door and really be able to make a change instantly because you just never know what's going to happen. So for example, when I took over the store, it, it wasn't doing so well and it needed to go online. So we brought it online. Then it, that was ramping up. And then all of a sudden there was COVID happened. So you can't shop anymore in brick and mortar. No one was going out. What are you going to do to boom, to boost your online business? And that's when we we're really one of the first resale stores to partner with Afterpay. So buy now, pay later. That really, we rode that bubble as, as far as we could. And that <laughs> really let us survive and thrive through COVID because we were using the buy now, pay later programs. The tables have turned now. Those buy now, pay later programs are not, they're under a lot of scrutiny. So their approvals for con- their cons- their customer is not as high as it used to be. So a lot of our customers that want to purchase, they have it in the cart, ready to go, but then they realize they're not approved for their payment plan or financing. Mm -hmm. So we lose them. So it's like, what do we do next? And that's finding right now, we're looking at different different revenue streams. So that's with the, the live shopping stream, also with international, international business. So we're focusing now on different sites that feature our items in the UK, in the EU, and in Asia, Middle East. And so we're looking at those revenue channels. So it's half to, not just being able to sit back and be like, okay, we're doing good. We're doing good now. It's like constantly being able to change because mm-hmm. the littlest, 
thing could make you just go out of business in a heartbeat because you don't have, you're not backed by a VC. We don't, we're not sitting on gajillions of dollars here and just waiting for something to happen. Mm-hmm. So being able right. to pivot and just really make that change quickly, I think is really important. Making change, pivoting, always thinking one step ahead, just in case something were to happen. Talk about macro events. Is there something you talk about buy, na- buy now, pay later? Is that still a viable option for our consumer? It may not be because, again, you're talking about scrutiny. So, so what's what are next? those additional? What's yeah. next? What's absolutely, absolutely and I what's think next? What also having the mindset of you have to solve one problem at a time, especially as a small business owner, you can't look at everything and say, I need to do all of this right now. It's impossible. It's impossible. So being able to solve that one problem at a time, I think is crucial, especially for someone who's just starting their own business. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's really good advice. So, in somewhat of a similar vein, my friend Helene, who owns City Row. Oh yeah, that's funny, right by us, actually. Yeah. Right by. And I remember her in a conversation as she started was starting up and scaling her business. You need to slow down sometimes to move fast, mm-hmm. and perhaps it's that focus on okay, what is materially important and materially impactful to my business right now, and I shouldn't be distracted by other little in 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 contrast decisions. So taking that yes, one step at a time, and what that one decision or one step again can have an outsized punch on the business, which I think is mm-hmm. uh, tremendous, especially for someone who's uh, who's starting out. When it comes to uh, entrepreneurial in- influences, besides Mike, of course, is there anyone else that, that you point to that you're like, this person has a lot to offer to me and also to that aspiring entrepreneur? I think when I say I worked in corporate America, I, I really did work for founders, which I think is quite interesting. So even though I was at SALR, most of my time there was working for Bobby Brown and then mm-hmm. after leaving Bobby Brown, I worked for Peter Thomas Roth and June Jacobs. So those are all founders. And I think they started with nothing, family money or friends money, and really had a dream and made it work. So I think that they've all had influence on me and being able to be part of their, just being able to absorb whatever they did on a daily basis, I think was such a learning experience. So I will mm-hmm. forever be grateful for that. So it's like bootstraps but still they're still around and they're still very successful. So knowing that it wasn't always like that and there were hard times, I think has definitely stuck with me and given me Mm -hmm. faith that it's very hard, but it can be done. But it's like they really did serve as mentors. No, that's uh, that's great. Having that resolve, uh, especially in the early going, and have that st- stick with you as that example as continue on with Design Revival and build Design Revival and continue to build Design Revival is tremendous. One last question coming out of what you were saying in terms of entrepreneurial influences. Is it safe to say, is, are entrepreneurs risk tolerant or risk averse? I think risk tolerant. And why do you say it's I think you have to be because it's like being risk averse. It's like you would never be able to try anything and it, you would never get anywhere. I think you're because you're so nimble and because you're dealing with such a you have you can't be afraid to fail because that just serves no purpose. It's like failure is part of life. And I think you need to approach failure as a valuable lesson. So you have to be willing mm-hmm. to take risks, especially as an entrepreneur, because it's the kind of a wild west. It's, you don't know. It could work, couldn't work. Maybe not. Maybe will. But it's mm-hmm. you have to just go forward as if it will work. And if you fail, but you're going to learn, pick yourself up and try it again. And try it again. Because it sound, from what it sounds like, what you're saying is the fear of not trying is a much more powerful concept than fear of, fail, fear of failure. Exactly. 
That's no, that's great. Tiffany, this conversation is great and I can continue talking. We can continue talking, but I know, again, you have a store and a business to run. I do really do appreciate your time. Our listeners Thank appreciate you. your time. In terms of where to learn more about Tiffany and Designer Revival, where should we send them? I would send them to our website, Designer Revival, and there's an About Us tab in our press. So it could read more about us and myself there. Excellent. And also, just a shameless plug, you have a great email program. And I imagine there are promotions and other event yeah. information. So, of so course, please sign, up. Over, yeah. please sign up. Again, Tiffany, always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you so we'll much. Talk, and we'll talk this soon. is fun. Take care. Bye. Yes. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Make sure to follow the podcast on your favorite listening platform or subscribe to the show Substack so you never miss an episode.